Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy is built to make strategy work for small to medium-sized businesses and organizations by designing world-class strategic plans and help keeping them accountable to actually get it done. Go to 40strategy.com to learn more. We like to give a shout out often during our podcast recordings, and this goes, thank you to Stephen Pemberton. Stephen is a podcast host, CEO of Hollow, and an incredible human being who has a great story. He actually was a previous guest on the Measure Success podcast. I encourage you to go back to that if you want to hear about hitting rock bottom and getting back out of it. His story of huge spiders he had to live into with his family, which is like absolutely scary because I hate spiders. I encourage you to go back to listen to his podcast, which wasn't which was recorded here in 2023. And that brings us to our guests. And we'll get this right. Our friend from Hungary, Budapest, Chaba Borzashi. There we go. We nailed it. We crushed it. We've been practicing this for like the past 45 minutes. No, I just said, said someone kidding about that. But uh, we're really excited to have him on board. He is a, you're going to hear the expertise that he has here in just a minute. For years, he struggled to get his business off the ground and create profitable, to create profitable marketing campaigns that actually made money. And he was getting nowhere and he was kind of at the end of his rope. We're like, I'm done. I'm through. I'm not getting this done. But then he decided to go all in and master the timeless fundamentals of the ultimate persuasive skill, which is direct response copywriting, which is definitely a skill. Jabba, welcome to the Measure Success podcast. Hey, Carl. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you for the great intro. So exciting. I will love talking to people who are from around the world. Now you work with US-based clients and regularly, isn't that correct? Yes. So let's get into, once again, a little bit more, tell us in more detail how you got into this and, and what are you doing on a consistent basis with your business and how you make a difference in the world? Sure. So I basically help ambitious online entrepreneurs engineer profitable marketing funnels and, and persuasive sales messages because I noticed that you know most of them are struggling with leaky sales funnels, low conversion rates, and weak copy. So I basically help them identify and fix the biggest leaks in their funnels and help them install newer, better conversion systems into their business so they can make more money more consistently and also impact more people around them. So it's really important to, to work with people who want to make an impact. They don't just want to make money, but they also have their mission driven, right? And the reason why I started doing this is because I've always been interested in, in the combination of psychology and business. Actually, I have two degrees. One is in business and the other one is in psychology. So it's basically a textbook thing for me to do. Although I, you know, I went to university for seven years in total, but I never, ever learned anything about something like direct response marketing or direct response copywriting or the, you know, the, the boots on the ground in the trenches persuasion strategies that I discovered from breaking down lots of proven sales letters and ads and just studying what the old school masters did. So, you know, there's a long story, you know, that actually brought me on this journey, but I think that's kind of like the, the, the short 
long-form version. So what's what's really I think interesting about this, and it, I I never mentioned you. My second job that I ever, or I, let's see, my third job I ever had was actually with the direct marketing agency. And cool. th- this is dating me a bit back, but because I a, a bit a few more few more years aging you, but we, this was back in the period of time when direct ads, mailing ads, right? That was still happening, but the difference was they were writing copy to get people to go on to what we called a web profile or basically online to like redeem a mm-hmm. prize as an example. And then the goal is of course, once we get them in the funnel as a lead, then we could potentially, you know, get more connection with them to sell our products and services that our clients had respectfully towards that. And, but what's so fascinating was the effort. I mean, there was always the beauty and the art of the design of the actual copy, but the words to get people to act and respond was always so important. You have, and I believe about a hundred videos plus, I think way more than that, you know, that you've shared some of the best practices and strategies in terms of this. This is a definitely a skill I think that's lost often. So when you're working with clients for the first time, what's the first thing you have to get to to make sure you're designing the copy or the writing? to fit them? Well, I think most people have the wrong impression when they think about someone like a copywriter. And I, at this point, I don't really call myself copywriter anymore because what I do and what we do is, 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 is only one small part writing. It's much more strategizing. It's much more about thinking. So some A-list copywriters actually call this copy thinking because yes, it's partially about the writing, but it's mostly about figuring out the big idea, figuring out the offer to message matching, figuring out what type of offers would actually do well with the given audience and what type of positioning to do as well. So it's very sophisticated, high-level marketing strategy as well. But usually the first thing that's needed in order to, to really understand a business, because it's, yes, you have some metrics on the front end and they can share them with you, but Usually the story goes way deeper than what it seems like on the front end, right? So usually it's just like a deeper conversation with the business owner or or with anyone who basically is looking to upgrade their funnels or upgrade their conversion systems. It's really important to understand how their business functions, some metrics, right? How does their their whole system looks like and and who are they trying to serve? And I think this is the biggest problem that I usually see, you know, almost immediately is that people aren't really laser targeted to a specific ideal customer avatar in a sense. And I'm not saying you only have to, you know, have one avatar, but when you're creating messaging, for example, it's almost always better to imagine someone like a single flesh and blood person in a sense that you're writing to or that you're communicating with because it's going to come off as way more real and what i've noticed is that when 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 people want to create marketing messaging for themselves or they hire it out what usually happens is that people enter into this writing mode and they start sounding like a typical ad. They start sounding like corporate talk in a sense, lingo, marketees, you know, some people call it like that as well. But the best types of messages, they don't sound like copy. They don't sound like marketing. They sound like talking one-on-one with someone on a Friday, you know, evening or Friday afternoon in a bar or something. That's right. So it feels natural, right? At the end of the day, it feels like a natural conversation that they're going to have with it. 
And, and so let's talk about that building of the avatar. So I'm sure many of you who are listening who are familiar with this, but for those who haven't perhaps are aware of what an avatar is in terms of business, right? Describe a little bit more about how much of detail we should go to understanding what that avatar is for us. That's a great question. And it depends on lots of different factors. So it, I think the biggest thing that impacts this is how so-called sophisticated your audience is. Because if you're trying to sell a new alternative health supplement in the weight loss niche, you're going to have a challenge because there are tons and tons and tons of offers by super high skilled marketing companies that have tons of money to dial this in and they run millions in ad spend just to test certain ideas. And if you're competing with them, then you got to go deeper for sure. You got to, and you can beat them in a sense, because it's just, just like, you know, can you compete with Walmart? Of course you can, but you have to position yourself differently. You have to have some sort of extra unique mechanism that makes you different and that serves a different type of, 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 of customer avatar in a sense, if you want to tell it like that. But usually, and it also depends on the type of messaging, because if you want to do some sort of like short form ads or something, it's not necessarily that needed. Or if you want to do some sort of content marketing piece, it's not that super important. But if you want to do a sales letter, a webinar, uh, a VSL, so a video sales letter, or like a multi-part email sequence, delivered over one, two, three weeks even, then it's definitely super important that you understand not just the pains, fears, hopes, and dreams of, of that particular customer avatar, but also their beliefs, their false beliefs. So many people have tons of false beliefs around all sorts of stuff. You really have to understand your competition as well. How, how are they doing things? What are their big ideas? What are their unique mechanisms? And also, what are things that they aren't doing so well that people are fed up with? So that's a potential opportunity to do something better. And you also have to really understand how to create an offer that's irresistible for that given audience and also how to position it well. And this might take a long time and a lot of effort to actually dial down on. But if you do that, then you're ready. I think you want to have the battle at that point. Because if you if you have these, uh, these research things in place, then suddenly it's almost impossible to have the so-called dreaded blank page syndrome, or you, you don't know how to start or what to write or what to come up with as messaging. It's the opposite. You have too much stuff and you, the, the challenge becomes how to actually, you know, focus it in a sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you get, let's, let's talk about, I, I love that. So first of all, avatar in terms of once again, character person, and, and do you get down to, okay, and I'm kind of curious on, on that side a little bit. Let's just use an example of, of perhaps not the weight loss thing, but maybe something a little bit more specific. Somebody who is buying a an exercise bike. Okay. 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 So there's somebody who's buying an exercise bike, but they want to buy in for the home. We're going to do this consumer part. And and they decide, hey, we're we're gonna we want to make sure we get and, and our our exercise bike is different than anybody else has ever had. And we we we're confident with that. Like we found a way. It's, it's better than Peloton. It like blows it out by 10X, right? This particular new product that we have developed. Then let's just say that's true for a moment, but we don't have the money that Peloton has, right? We don't have the 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 all the money, all the ads, all that things. Like you said, you know, it's hard to compete versus the Walmarts of the world, right? Unless we focus on a specific niche. So let's just say, for example, somebody has, 
three or four avatars, meaning they mm -hmm. they can say, oh, we have the young business person that's trying to do it, or they have the stay-at-home mom that's interested in this, or the stay-at-home dad, you know, so to speak. I mean, they have these different avatars that folks are in. How, how do you help somebody select which one, the one they should focus on that they think that they can win? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And I think it is needed to start with one single and then scale up from there, because otherwise you're not going to be able to just appeal to their emotional side that strongly. So how do we help them choose the perfect sub avatar in a sense? Well, I think it mostly comes down to, first of all, looking at the current customers, like, can we see, can we identify any commonalities between existing customers that might form some sort of cohort? Because that means those people are already validated customers. The second step would be to interview them one-on-one -on -one actually on the phone or on Zoom in a sense to really find out why they bought the product, what did they like about it, what they didn't like about it, what do they think about competitor products, stuff like that. And then also figure out whether, do they have the money, first of all, to actually buy this? Because if you are trying to position this to, I don't know, Nigerian 18-year-olds, 18 year of course, nobody's going to be able to buy it, even though they might want it, they might crave it and, and desire it so bad. So you really also have to probably, it's probably not the best idea to focus at like students, because on average, in most cases, they don't really have the money to buy something that's probably even more expensive than Peloton. But also, you know, you can also buy some sort of info related to these things. If you have access to a media buying agency or, or you, have, you do it in-house, you can also find tons of great stuff based on how those people engage with different types of content as well. And even then, I think uh, it's important to, to so-called seed launch it. Like most people call this concept... So people have different names for this concept. I use the term seed launch because I learned this from Jeff Walker, who is like the guru when it comes to launching products online. But basically what it means is that you beta launch it. You kind of launch a minimal viable product version of this. And then based on feedback and based on how this goes, you kind of try to serve that initial cohort as best as you can, because they're going to be the hardcore customers. So as you can see, this is technically still part of copywriting in a sense, but it has nothing to do with writing itself. But it's part of the research process. It can be actually part of a research process and the product development process as well. So, you know, it's kind of a combination of like the product manager and the marketing manager and, you know, all sorts of different stuff. When you're working with clients, what surprises them the most of what works, quote unquote, the best? It depends on the type of client, but... Let's just call B2B-ish type clients or like the typical B2B. They're always surprised when they find out that personal messages work well. So instead of just giving you a typical example, email marketing, instead of the beautifully designed and handcrafted email templates that basically have lots of images and are light on copy, but are great on design and, you know, they look really professional, but when they switch to a more type of communication that's trying to mimic reading a letter and sending a letter because that's what email is supposed to do in a sense suddenly people buy more and of course you know if you're selling some scarves on tiktok or something this still applies to you although not that much but 
in most cases, almost every single business can develop, can benefit from, from looking at their potential customers as like real flesh and blood people instead of statistics, instead of demographic data. Because you're not selling to a, I don't know, 50 to 60 year old white woman who lives in the Midwest and earns over $100,000 a year, that's demographic info. You're not selling to that. You're selling to beliefs and identities and psychographic info much more. Ah, okay. So that's interesting. And so now we're going to pull into more the psychological side, right? Which is, you know, part of it. And, and so what's, and I hate to use the term tips and tricks, but let's go ahead and use that as just a fun what what are some fun tips and tricks that tend to be very compelling to connect from the psychological side with prospective buyers? Well, it depends. Do you have any specific idea which part of the funnel? Because you know. Oh, some... okay. Well, how about you lead me? What let's 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 talk from the very top just to get okay. them in the funnel to begin with, right? So, what's going to track them to? even be in your email list. Yes. So there's this concept called the stage of the five stages of awareness that Eugene Schwartz came up with, uh, who's kind of like considered to be one of the grandfathers of modern day direct response marketing. And his book, Breakthrough Advertising, is still considered to be the so-called Bible of persuasion psychology applied into marketing. And it's like a 50 plus year old book. But he came up with this concept, five stages of awareness. And this is why we have funnels in a sense. And it says the first stage is unaware. And these are people who don't know that they have a problem. So it doesn't really make sense to try to sell them something because they don't even know they have a problem. And this is where typical content marketing comes in, blogs, advertorial, stuff like that. Usually you, you share stories there. You're trying, you're trying to basically tap into the, the conversation that's already happening in the minds of your ideal customers and you're trying to arouse their emotion. You're trying to make them realize that, oh, and because there are lots of people who've never considered, like there are lots of people, in fact, I know some of them who consider, I don't know, back pain to be just a given thing. Like, oh, I had back pain. I always had back pain, back pain. So what are you going to do? It is what it is, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. So most audiences can be reached in this in this unaware stage. And actually, that's what big brands also do. So if you look at an ad from Coca-Cola or these big mega corporations, they're not really direct responsy because they're just trying to elicit an emotion. But there's because they've been doing it for decades, it's very easy to just, they just have to do a trigger. They just have to remind people of, of the warm, fuzzy feeling inside of friendship and companionship when they think about Coca-Cola, right? But you have to work harder as, as like a small business owner. But even if you're a small business owner, sharing some cool stories or personal stories or case studies or something like that is a great way to get people, get people to realize that, oh yeah, I mean, I never actually considered this, but now it makes more sense. And then they go into the problem aware stage, which is the second one. And this, this is where most ads function. When you're scrolling Facebook or a YouTube ad comes in, well, more with Facebook, less with YouTube ad at this stage, but they are trying to tap into a problem that you have. They're trying to agitate that pain that you already feel a little bit. And they're almost always tease something that's different and superior compared to anything else you've seen before. 
you see these ads all the time, you know, like, hey, are you trying up this and that? Well, I've been also, I've struggled with this all the time, but then finally I almost gave up, but then I discovered one key thing that actually created breakthrough in my life. And I put together this cheat sheet, you know, or this five-part training series that's, and then you go into how it's different and superior. You also mentioned the unique mechanism a little bit and then call to action. So that's a very simple way of, of using these types of tics, tri- tips and tricks in the problem aware. Do you want me to go? Uh, go yeah, this? continue. I'd love you to okay. f- finish through the funnel. That'd be great. So next stage is solution aware. And that's, usually your landing page or maybe a YouTube ad because on YouTube, people have search intent much more than on Facebook. On Facebook, you're interrupting them, but on YouTube, and if you're using Google ads on YouTube, it's you have more sophisticated targeting options, I would say, to reach people when they are in distress, for example. Let's say a mother is trying to put her baby to sleep because the baby doesn't want to sleep and they're searching on YouTube at 2 a.m. in the morning, how to get my baby to sleep. Well, we can, I mean, the system can definitely target those people for up to like an hour and give them pre-roll ads that can be, can be like an ad for one of your lead magnets for a, I don't know, a cheat sheet on how to get your baby to sleep fast because that's what they want at that particular time. And it's going to probably convert pretty well because they have the burning problem. It's something that's specific, actionable, and, and they get quick a quick win from it. And the landing page that they are driven to, that's solution aware. And here you don't really have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to give them, you just have to hook them emotionally with a headline, give them a few bullet points of all the benefits that they're going to get from this. Also arouse some curiosity like you know the the three step secret method that nobody talks about that can actually get your baby to sleep in 5 minutes or less ooh i've never heard that before and then people sign up and then once they sign up they are still in stage 3 or eventually stage 4 but that's where emails come in and emails are i think the best way to build this concept of no like and trust right? Because we buy from people who we know, like, and trust. And one of the best ways to do this is to, of course, first of all, give them, deliver on your promise, give them a specific actionable and useful lead magnet that it's kind of like fighting the fire a little bit, just extinguishing that fire. But then first, you know, in a covert way, and then more overtly also introduce a new idea, introduce the new idea that you have versus anybody else so that they actually convince themselves that, oh, this is kind of different compared to any other course or book I've seen before. And you can do this by sharing more stories. You can do this by busting some of their myths that they might believe. I'm sure, you know, this would work really well in this market because lots of people are telling lots of stuff to first-time mothers, for example. I know this firsthand because, you know, my wife is currently pregnant and we are expecting a baby in a few months, in three months, actually. So... Yeah, there's a lot of emotional manipulation that goes there. And like, it's very easy to, to, to just rile these, rile women up when they are pregnant, of course. So yeah, and then finally, let's say you have a course on this, a more extensive course that's like the next step. Eventually, you can start flat out selling this because at this point, people already know, like, and trust you. They know that your solution works. Here, you just, you know, show them case studies, talk more about your unique mechanism, give them an irresistible offer and just close them. 
And that's basically a funnel in a nutshell. Sorry, that's awesome. Okay, so, all right, so now, of course, I'd love to ask, how are, in a business perspective, what you do when you're working with your clients, how are you measuring success with them? With the clients themselves, right? Well, it could be your own business, if that makes sense, yeah. measuring success or with the client. So you can choose which path you want to take mm -hmm. on this question. Because, you know, everybody has their own internal drive, like what really drives them. And I think most coaches and and people like Dan Sullivan, they always focus on like, what really drives you and, and what, what do you want to do? And, 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 and what's your North Star, in a sense? So it's different for everyone. Obviously, sales and revenue is one of the most important things. It's the universal thing that most businesses, you know, want to want to measure. But for example, for me, it's even more, more important to, to measure, hey, am I on the right track? And am I doing something that's consistent with my values, for example? which is freedom, for example, freedom to do and to focus on what I'd like to focus on. Because one of my biggest drivers in life is to get as close as possible to understanding how the world, including the human mind works. So uh, for me, it's really important to, to buy back my time and be able to focus on things that are currently interesting for me. And it's, it's oftentimes more important than sales themselves. But again, there are some people who... I don't know, they just want to build a seven-figure company as quickly as possible. That's totally fine too. Another big thing that people are measuring is, of course, new leads, new email subscribers. What I like to measure is the number of people who reply to my emails each week, mm. because that shows me engagement levels. And I go really, I, I, I do a lot of work to make sure that people have lots of opportunities to not just click links, but also to reply to my emails. And this is super useful because first of all, it helps your de deliverability score and your email reputation. And it automatically, some people might know this, might not know this, but if someone replies to your marketing email for a while, your next emails are going to automatically be put into the inbox folder, not mm. the promotions tab or the other tabs. So that's a really cool thing to have because everything hinges on these first few emails. Because then you're starting to establish more no like and trust. And I, I just get lots of satisfaction from people, you know, replying to some emails that I send out telling me, you know, Chaba, nobody talks about this. And I'm so glad I read your email because it, it made me realize something. And, you know, thank you so much for this. Hmm. So you might optimize for this as well, which I think can be a legitimate business KPI as well. So I'm curious, and there's data out there, of course, a typical, what is a typical email response that somebody might get? And then when you're working with a client, once again, give them the typical, I know you have the crazy, really high response rates you have with some of your clients, but what what, what is the typical difference mm -hmm. when kind of before and after working with you? Well, this depends on niche because in certain e-commerce niches, I don't know, 15% open rates are considered pretty good or average in a sense, average and 1% click-through rate. Usually I work with info businesses or people who send information products, coaching, they want to, they have courses, a high ticket program, stuff like that. But usually what I see is based on whether they had some sort of email marketing consultant before or not. If not, they usually have like 20 to 25% open rates. And click-through rates, 
again, it's it's so hard to 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 just flat out tell you something like this because I've worked with people, I've seen people who had like 10% click-through rates even before doing anything else because they were selling some very specific type of of, of agile development courses for IT professionals. And there's, you know, it, it worked really well. But if you want to work in the make money online niche, your click-through rates, even after optimization, are going to be super lower. Or if you have, or if you want to be the email marketing manager of like an alternative health company who has millions of people on their email list, even after all sorts of optimizations, you might still get like one and a half percent click-through rates. But I would say a doubling of, of stats. Nice, nice. On average. Okay, so let's move. To, okay, so we talked about that's how you're measuring success. Now I'm curious, and we we talked about this priority. Yet you have this baby coming up, changing your life, and it will once again father four kids, each and each additional child, and it possibly changes your life in in a more greater greater impactful way. So, what are you thinking about from on your personal side? What habits? What habits do you do today, if you may, to help make sure you get your best performance? And what habits do you plan to change as you become a father here? Oh, really good question. So I, I, I used to be better with habits. And I think it got to my head because I was really good at, at, at creating habits, especially when I did this 100-day proven sales letter breakdown challenge, during which I, which I basically took a piece of usually long-form copy something that might have been written like 50 years ago and sometimes 20 30 pages long i you know marked it up with my comments reverse engineered it and then just shot a video every single day for 100 days that i uploaded to youtube breaking it down and i i i never skipped a day so i i was able to consistently do this over over 100 days well i skipped sundays because i'm still human but i retroactively filled those in so 6 days a week i was doing and that was the plan itself. So I was really good at habits then. I was really good at using the Pomodoro technique. You know, like uh, I usually did 33 minutes in, in, in one session, then like five, 10 minutes rest, and then another 33 minutes. And then how usually I did like four or five of these per day, and it was enough to do to get through everything. It's incredible how much more productive you can be when you don't allow yourself to be distracted. It's it's nine and day difference. Um, but also it was COVID. So there were lockdowns here in Hungary, as well as other places in the world. So it was very easy to stay focused because you couldn't really meet other people that much. Gyms were closed. It was winter or like early spring. So, you know, it was really easy to stay inside your cave and just, just do the work. Nowadays, I, I started, because of these things, I started being way better at just instinctively being productive. But I think after a while, I stopped journaling. I stopped taking notes. I stopped doing these Pomodoro techniques. And I think it my, my, my consistently level went down because I thought, oh, I already mastered this. But it doesn't work like that, it turns out. And now... I find it a little harder than before to actually get back on this regimen once again. Probably after my daughter is born, I'm going to have to do this again because I will be forced to be more productive because my family will need me much more. So I think this also depends on like right now at this moment, uh, my life is pretty chill in this regard because I have lots of things automated in my business 
And, you know, it's, I can do most of my daily work in like four hours, something like that. The rest I spend just, you know, understanding how the world works when it comes to all sorts of different things from like geopolitics right now to all sorts of persuasion, psychology, AI, you know, anything that's really important to me or interesting to me. But I think the three biggest tools I'm going to use starting May is going to be the Pomodoro. Once again, it's going to be getting up earlier, maybe a little bit, and then have a longer so-called golden hour to just be as productive as possible and, and, and have more deadlines in my mind. Because the thing is when, and I think most people can also identify this with, with this as well, if they're working in their own business, not necessarily with, with clients on their business, it's very easy to not give yourself deadlines and to just work on stuff. And we all know that work inflates based on how long you, of a deadline you give yourself. And if you never give yourself a deadline, you're going to be not that productive. So I think that th th that's the plan at the moment. Yeah, no, it, what I found, I, I think that's really good advice. I love the concept that you talked about, you know, that those 33 minute sprints, right? Where you turn everything else off. You focus exactly on what's happening because it's amazing, you know, each time we pull up our phone and we get a text or we get some different message and we lose our distraction. We lose our, and it's it's incredible what we can get done. And, you know, think about from you, what you describe, like people would love to hear that. I, I can get all my work down to four hours. Well, folks, if you think about, it depends on what you do, of course, right? You know, it depends on if you're where you are on your vacation, but you re recognize that the actual work, work, work you're doing is only a finite period of time, especially if you're focused at it. You can get so much more done if you're not being distracted, not having interruptions on a regular basis. Not you know the open door policy. I think is one of the greatest killers. And and then email notifications, right? You know what are we doing, folks? You know do not look at your email throughout the day. Sorry, this is like a, a discussion we can't continue to go on with. But I love it what you talked about that concept of being focused on getting things done. And and you're right. You'll find getting up early is almost becomes a necessity because your your rest of your day will get mm -hmm. positively taken up by your family. <laughs> I'll say. I love the way you know, put it. Yeah, you know, because it, it will. It will it'll get when you come back home and or if you're already there, are those challenges or opportunities, you know, that you'll see on a regular basis. So that's that's tremendous. What is a book that impacted you positively that you love to share with our audience? Well, since I already mentioned that breakthrough advertising from Eugene Schwartz, I think that's like, I mean, that's the best marketing psychology book that I've ever seen anywhere by far. And it's only available, it's not available on Amazon. It costs $125. And it's only available from Brian Kurtz, who used to work with Eugene Schwartz, the, the author of this book. So if you want that, you know, breakthroughadvertisingbook.com or something like that. Exactly. But but another great book, I mean, are you referring to marketing books or books that personally- It could be in general. It could be in general too. So another marketing book, I'm going to give you two then. Okay. So the another marketing book is Great Leads from Mark Ford. And I think the subtitle is The Sixth Easiest Ways to Start Any Sales Message. And it's an, it's an amazing way to realize how most people start sales or marketing messages completely wrong. And it gives you six different frameworks on how you can actually do it right based on 
partially based on this, this stage of awareness concept that, that I basically mentioned here. And a, another book that had a profound effect on me, unfortunately, it's in Hungarian. So your, most of your audience is not going to be, not going to resonate with this because my, my mother tongue is Hungarian, but it's a, it's a book about, and it's, it's a novel. It's a series of novels actually, but it's a book about the Hungarian minority living in Romania, in the Transylvanian region of Romania, where I'm from actually. And it documents their struggles after the end of World War II and when communism came in and collectivization happened. And under the pretext of like, oh, now is everybody, everybody's going to be equal. You know, they took everything away from otherwise, you know, good people. And they took even more away from people who were a little smarter than, compared to anybody else. They called them the Kulaks and they were kind of public enemy number one because, because they were... They weren't even the intellectual, the, the intellectuals, but you know, peasants basically who who just knew how to properly invest their time and effort and just just create farms and and be more efficient. So this had a, a, like a big effect on me because I came from a family like this as well, and I had I don't know one of my great grandfathers, for example, he invented a specific type of steam machine without any factory or anything like that for doing agricultural work. And he invented it himself. He actually created the metal parts for it, which was crazy back then, even though he had no formal education at all. And then when this communism, this, this collectivization came, you know, they took away everything and you still had quotas, like impossible quotas. If you didn't complete those, they would take you away to like prison camps to build the Danube Canal in Eastern Romania. So yeah, I mean, I heard lots of these stories from my grandparents and it was just, it was just really, really powerful to read about these in a, in a great novel. That's powerful. And, and, you know, it's good, depending on where you are in the world, you could see what you're talking about today, especially in the historical context, right? Of the conflicts that are happening around the world that struggle of being able to have your independence and this perception that what you talked about, whether communist is good and right. And I think based on your experiences of, I think there is a better alternative, that's for sure. <laughs> Quite I mean, if you ask almost any, every single person or any person in Eastern Europe, they're of course going to tell you communism, not good. We tried it. Believe us, 50 years, it wasn't good. That's right. That's right. No, appreciate. So, Java, this has been incredible. I appreciate you providing your insights that you have here. How can people connect and learn more about you? Yeah. So, if you want to check out my website, then just go to gameofconversions.com. So, just like Game of Thrones, but gameofconversions.com. If you want to check out the the video series on YouTube, the Hundred Day Proven Sales Letter Breakdown, then probably you know we can leave a link down that that links to that. And also, if you if you're like most people who don't have time to watch 100 long form videos on YouTube, but you still want the, the most important and highest impact insights of the things I learned during this life-changing challenge, to be honest, then I have a special, special page for that because I put together a seven part guide along with like the most important, along with a cool cheat sheet that's basically includes something I call the ultimate persuasive message formula that I put together based on these hundred ads. So if you want that, just go to Game of Conversions slash memoirs. So memoirs. 
Great. Perfect. We're probably going to have a link to that as well. And that's a free course. Just go through it. And I think you're going to find it totally insightful. If you enjoyed this, then I think you're going to get even more value out of it. Thank you so much for all your insight. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Measure Success Podcast. Thank you so much as well. And hope to do this again soon. Well, to everyone else who's listening, I hope you have enjoyed what our friend from Hungary has shared with us. I mean, it's incredible. I, that's what I love about Zoom, right? And the ability to talk for people around the world and get their insights and seeing how they're making a difference. And I think it's really incredible, the insights that you've done. I'm really excited. Congratulations once again for you, for your upcoming so birth and your family, your new child. And I just wish you the very best once again. And thank you so much for being a guest. Of course, my pleasure. Appreciate it. And take care. And to everyone else who's listening, we just thank you for being a guest, sharing your insights, being with us. And we also encourage you to rate, right? Your ratings on our show is the difference between us continuing to grow and being as we are, we're one of the top global podcasts. We want to keep on growing up those, climbing up those charts. And without your support, we will not get there. So with that, uh, wishing you the very best and measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.